Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts, radio, news. The story of the UK is an economy that has got real momentum. What is broken can be repaired. What is ruined can be rebuilt. UK inflation is becoming much more homegrown. We have huge potential as an economy in the UK. This is a time to tell Israel there is a path to peace. Our plan for the British economy is working, but the work is not done. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Welcome to the programme. This is one of those days in politics where it feels like we could start in a hundred different places. Let's start here. And I say again, I thought I was doing the right thing and the best thing, and I regret it and I apologise. So that was Lindsay Hoyle, the speaker. Favouritism, Stephen, I wonder. His position hangs in the balance. He's been accused of giving the Labour Party preferential treatment over a vote on the Israel-Hamas war. Now, originally, a motion was proposed by the Scottish National Party, the SNP, but Hoyle then allowed Labour and the Conservatives to tweak the language of the bill. So it kind of spared the opposition Labour leader, Keir Starmer, the embarrassment of being pinned down on calls for a ceasefire. As ever in Westminster politics, it comes down to an arcane rule, but the SNP is absolutely furious because it robbed them of a chance to vote on their own motion. That is treating myself and my colleagues in the Scottish National Party with complete and utter contempt. And I will take significant convincing that your position is not now intolerable. So that was Stephen Flynn, SNP MP there. The question is, can Hoyle last? Yeah, I mean, look, this is another one of those days where you sort of feel like absolute scenes is the (laughs) only way of describing what happened exactly. Uh, So far, we've got over 50 MPs signing uh, a motion of no confidence uh, at the time of recording. We'll keep an eye on the tally and bring you an update a little bit later. But is this something that is uh, an internal Westminster row? How does it play into the bigger debate in politics and the divisions between the parties? And, of course, the positions on the Israel-Hamas war as well. Uh, let's turn to our UK government reporter, Emily Ashton, for more on this. Emily, this was meant to be a vote calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. It turned into something very different. What can you tell us about what happened in Parliament yesterday? Yeah, so I was there yesterday and you don't often get moments of drama like this in the Commons. Um, I mean, you go back to the Brexit days, of course, but it has been a number of years. And even the doorkeepers um, in the chamber last night, they're the people that kind of guard the entrances. They were getting very excited by it all. It was um, a moment of drama. But just to kind of put this into context, this was a non-binding motion on a ceasefire. This wasn't anything that was going to change any policy. This isn't going to change anything of what's going on in the Middle East. This was an opposition day motion from the SNP who were calling for a ceasefire in their own form of words. And Labour also kind of want a ceasefire now. The Tories want a pause in fighting. So we're all kind of on the same page, all the parties, but it was about the form of words in which you use that you call for a ceasefire. But it was non-binding. It doesn't doesn't really make any difference to anything. Um, and the SNP called this motion. It's essentially, uh, they wanted to set out their policy, but they knew it would cause division in Labour as well. They know that that is a weak spot of Labour, that the left-wing MPs would back the SNP's motion if they didn't have a, a motion that Labour put down. 
So they knew that would happen, just to put that into context. Um, and there's a lot of game playing going on. Yeah, all this Westminster squabbling just feels like such a ugly distraction from the humanitarian tragedy that's happening in the Middle East. Emily, what actually did the speaker do that caused so much controversy? So what happened was it's an opposition day, which means the SNP, um, because they're the third main party, they, they only get three a year, three a session, parliamentary session. Um, so for them, it's quite a big moment. They get to kind of put their own um, motion on and they get their own debate and their own vote. Um, they put a motion down with their wording calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. Um, now, normally, convention has it that the government can amend that motion. They can put down an amendment and that gives the House um, MPs a chance to either vote for the amended motion or the motion but that's normally how it works what doesn't normally happen is for another opposition party to put down an amendment to that motion because it's not their day it was the SNP's day but Labour put down an amendment to the motion um, and the speaker accepted that amendment now in the chamber yesterday it was very interesting I what there was a lot of shenanigans going on because even before that debate started, you could see that there was something going on behind the scenes. There was a lot of filling and the debate started late. Um, you could see like Labour MPs just talking nonsense effectively, just uh, stalling tactics because something was going on behind the scenes to convince the Speaker to allow Labour's amendment. And when he announced to the House I'm going, to I'm going to accept Labour's amendment to this, as well as the SNP's motion and the government's amendment. There was absolute outrage, multiple points of order, that he was wrong, that he changed convention, and that. And then it came came to light that the clerk of the House, the lawyers that kind of give him advice, had actually said this this goes against long-standing convention and hasn't been done for many years. Um, so that also kind of caused more outrage. But yeah, I mean, we're getting into the weeds of parliamentary conventions, which are, you know, won't mean anything to most people. Um, and as you say, Lizzie, it just takes away from actually what's happening in the Middle East and what, what the motions were all about. But it's now brought into question the Speaker's role as well. There have been these accusations, as you, as you said, and, and you were talking about the, the, the sense that something was going on behind the scenes in Parliament. Do we know that... That, that, that the Speaker was put under pressure to accept the amendment uh, in the way that he did? We know that he held meetings with MPs. Um, he's denied that he met Sue Gray. That's uh, Keir Starmer's chief of staff. That was some accusations from the Tories said he did that. He denied that later. We know that he held meetings. Um, so, But what we don't know is what was said in those meetings. He, we do know that Lindsay Hoyle came to the chamber later on on Wednesday to make a statement to kind of because there were so many points of orders later on and there was complete turmoil in the chamber about what was going on um, and he said he, he apologized he regretted for how it had all turned out but he was trying to do the right thing and he mentioned in that statement security of MPs and how that was the most serious thing for him that he wanted to make sure MPs were safe now what people are taking from that is that perhaps Labour said to him Labour needs an outlet. Labour MPs need a place for them to vote on their own motion because they're being put under pressure to not vote for the SNP's wording of a ceasefire, which means that they're effectively not voting for a ceasefire. That's what it looks like on paper. And because when that happens, they face protests, they face social media abuse, and we've seen we've seen this happen. Um, so I think Lindsay Hall 
was was warned of that. But the danger with that, as some Tory MPs are pointing out, is that you can't let, um, well, as Philip Davis, a Tory MP, has said, mob rule kind of run Parliament or allow Parliament to change the rules to appease the mob. Um, so that is, you know, that is another kind of serious um, accusation being levelled that you're changing the parliamentary rules to suit the protesters and that has dangerous implications. So we don't quite know, um, but I think I think the Speaker will have to do a bit more explaining about what's going on. And I, we know that he's holding meetings now with the leaders of parties and the whips. Well, on that point, Geoffrey Cox has posted on X that there are two possible explanations for the Speaker's decision to abandon the convention. The second is he did it in a misguided attempt to protect certain Labour MPs from the intimidation they said would otherwise have followed. If it's that, it's an, quote, abject surrender to intolerance and tyranny. So the point you make, Emily, that protesters seem to have influenced Parliament, perhaps, on this. But speaking of security, how secure is Lindsay Hoyle's position now? How does it play out for Lindsay Hoyle from here? Later on Thursday, we have a um, a statement or, a, sorry, Later on Thursday, we hear from Penny Morden. Now, she's the House of Commons leader. She holds weekly questions. That's It's, it's a good moment in Parliament to kind of uh, talk about issues like this. And I think you will see probably her say something new on this. Lucy Powell, the Shadow Commons leader, will say something. Um, and that I think that would be the next big moment here to maybe calm tensions or <laughs> make them worse. And... You see there's an early day motion. That's just a House of Commons um, written motion that's been put down by William Ragg. He's a Conservative MP calling, saying that the House has no confidence in the Speaker. Now, it doesn't mean anything. It's a non-binding motion. But all it does is if it attracts loads of support, and it actually is attracting quite a lot of support. I'm going to refresh it now. But earlier it was over 50 and now it's 57. Yeah, and they're mainly Conservative um, and SNP and independent MPs. Um, that's rising throughout the day. That's quite a lot of MPs that don't have confidence in the Speaker. All all they can do is is put pressure on him to resign. I don't think there is any formal mechanism for, for them to oust him. But I think if he realises that he doesn't have the confidence of MPs, he will just resign. And um, Michael Martin did this years ago over the expenses scandal. There is form for this. And then there would be um, a new contest for a speaker. But I would just say that all of this, as we talk about it and write about it, is a distraction from what the government is doing and the actual issues of the day that affect people on the ground and perhaps plays into the government's hands a little bit. Um, It takes pressure off Rishi Sunak and, you know, maybe stories that he doesn't want us to talk about. So um, the more that this is in in the news, I think it does suit them. Well, I, I was going to br- bring you to that actually next, Emily. The question of, of who is getting political gain from this, certainly it doesn't look good for Labour, but is there political advantage out there for anyone to grab? Well, I would say Labour have um, had quite an advantage from this, and I think they probably feel quite bad that it the fallout has been on the Speaker, um, who was formerly a Labour MP for a long time, so he's getting the accusations that he's biased towards Labour. Um, but actually Labour have benefited from this in that Keir Starmer avoided this pretty large, He was, they were expecting a pretty large-scale rebellion here 
um, that would have just emphasised all these divisions over Gaza again. He's got away with all that. No one's talking today about Keir Starmer's leadership. Um, so I think Labour have come out pretty well from this, even though they face accusations about these procedural things. Um, but the Conservatives also gain, as I say, from the lack of scrutiny over possibly more important issues. Um, and the SNP also get their moment in the sun as well. And I know they're cross about not getting their motion uh, to vote on, but, you know, they get their profile raised. The, the worst person that this is falling on is, is the Speaker. And, and it's whether he can ride it out now until Monday, because a lot of MPs will go home later. Um, if he can ride it out on Monday, maybe maybe he'll be safe. We'll see. Okay. Well, we keep an eye on that motion of no confidence. As you say, it's on 57 at the moment. Does it go higher during the programme? We shall see. Emily Ashton, our government reporter, across all the twists and turns, we thank you. Well, Emily mentioned there the SNP. Let's get another view on this story now from Richard Thompson, SNP MP for Gordon and the party's Westminster spokesperson for international trade, Northern Ireland and Wales. Richard Thompson, great to have you on the programme. How are you feeling about this this morning? Does the Speaker need to resign? Oh, I'm, good morning. I'm feeling incredibly frustrated about it. And I'll come to your, your, your actual question in a second. But if I could just say that yesterday, uh, the House of Commons did not cover itself in glory. It should have been an opportunity to reach a, a position on uh, Gaza on an immediate ceasefire to highlight the plight of the 30,000 men, women and children who have lost their lives in the invasion of Gaza, uh, to highlight the plight continuing plight of the Israeli hostages and to call for what could uh, follow a ceasefire to bring about a lasting political solution. Uh, instead, we're now discussing Westminster at its worst in the procedural wrangles, uh, which uh, which uh, sadly come down squarely on the shoulders of the Speaker who chose to tear up the rule book uh, to allow the, the Labour Party to put forward a, a motion they could have put forward on many other occasions prior to yesterday and he's uh, made a complete mess of it and uh, it's a real source of frustration that we're talking about procedure when we should have been talking about principle and where we go next. But arguably, Richard, you have highlighted the issue. You're highlighting it now. You've got what you wanted, haven't you? You've really underscored the difference between the SNP and Labour. Well, the primary focus on this was to deal with the real concern that there is about the situation in the Middle East. And But I think where this now falls down is that this was an opportunity, having moved Labour to a position whereby they were backing the immediate ceasefire eventually, after much uh, pulling in that direction to get the Keir Starmer to move that way, uh, Instead of being able to stand squarely behind the decision of the House of Commons last night, uh, the place has just become a laughing stock, and it makes it much, much harder to to take forward that pressure and influence in the way that we ought to have been able to do as a collective of MPs uh, after last night's uh, decision. Um, so. In the sense of the SNP getting what it wanted, that's neither here nor there, really. Uh, there was a, a, a reasonable outcome achieved by poor means, um, but it's sadly most of what the papers are full of today isn't about the, uh, the issue of principle and substance. It's all about the, uh, the procedural mess that the House of Commons dragged itself into last night. So what's your party's strategy from here then? Will you be returning to focus on the issues in the Middle East and, and allowing the, the pressure on the Speaker to play out? I mean, I see there are plenty of your colleagues who are supporting this uh, motion that's going down, you know, declaring no confidence in him. 
Well, I think it's important to separate the two issues and of course we'll continue to speak up for those who are without a voice in the, the Gaza conflict and to advocate those uh, deeply held positions of principle that uh, we not only hold as parliamentarians but that we know from our post bags and in email inboxes that our constituents uh, hold as well. Now, in terms of the, the, the future of the Speaker, I think it's sadly inevitable that that's now uh, a, topic of, uh, a topic of active conversation now uh, in Parliament and beyond. Now, I haven't yet signed the early day motion of uh, no confidence in him because I'm waiting to hear the outcome of any meetings that he, the Speaker decides to hold with uh, the leader of my group at Westminster and with uh, our Chief Whip. But uh, I think he's going to have to do an awful lot of work to persuade myself and others that uh, he's any longer able to discharge the responsibilities because what happened at the back of this was there was a the Labour Party refused to, were unable clearly to uh, reach a a unified position within their own group. They were clearly unwilling to reach out beyond their group to the other parties in the House of Commons to see if a common position could be found. So instead they exerted pressure on the Speaker. Now, the Speaker, uh, I think, you know, came under quite clearly a lot of pressure. In fact, there is a, there was a, the BBC were reporting yesterday that he had in fact been told, and this came from senior Labour sources, that uh, the Speaker had been told that if he didn't accede to Labour's demands to allow their motion to be, or their amendment to the SNP motion to be discussed, mm. they would boot him out of the Speaker's chair after the election. Now, it's the job of Speaker to stand up for the rights of all parties in Parliament and to be resistant to that kind of pressure. And uh, sadly, I very much suspect that because the Labour Party wouldn't work uh, as they should have done in any mature modern Parliament, they've put pressure on the Speaker and they've politicised and contaminated that office. And I think that is squarely on the shoulders of uh, Keir Starmer and his cheap whip for behaving in that manner. Mm. With all the doors opening and closing, Richard, I wondered whether you were on your way to cast your vote on that motion of confidence in this. <sighs> no, speaker. no, my microphone is connected by a wire. I'm not, not quite Bluetooth and wireless yet. <laughs> but what does Lindsay Hoyle need to say to Stephen Flynn to convince you that he should remain the Speaker? He's already apologised. What more do you want from him? Uh, well, the apology was necessary, but it's insufficient. I, I think that, you know, I, I'm not sure what he can say, to be perfectly honest. But the fact is that the Speaker is there to defend Parliament and to defend the rights of all parties, big and small, and not to do favours uh, to other parties, which is what this now sadly can be portrayed as looking like. And quite frankly, I, I, you know, there's the, certainly the leadership of the Labour Party don't come out of this with any credit. I, I would just invite listeners to, in the UK particularly, to reflect on the fact that if this had been Boris Johnson trying to bounce the Speaker's office in this way when he was Prime Minister, just exactly what the Labour Party would have said about that. So this is, does not show the Labour Party and the potential future Prime Minister, Sir Keir Starmer, in a good light at all. But I think if the Speaker... Uh, unless the Speaker can come up with a convincing explanation as to why he did what he did and why he chose yesterday of all days to tear up the rule book, uh, then I think that he has shown that you know, whatever other qualities he exhibits in that role, he has uh, buckled to the incessant demands of one party in particular. And uh, I think that uh, that perhaps renders them, that, that is perhaps what renders them uh, unsuitable to continue but, in office. But as I say, I'm edging, I'm edging towards that position, but I, I do want to at least do the man who I have a lot of personal respect for, incidentally. I want to give him the courtesy of being able to explain himself further. But what about the question that Lindsay Hoyle raised, saying that he wanted to give MPs the chance to vote on the widest range of proposition because there were concerns about threats 
to MPs' security over this? Right, there's two things there. Um, I, one of the reasons I have the utmost respect for Lindsay Hoyle is because he has gone above and beyond in terms of the way that he has uh, prioritised the safety of MPs and worked with parliamentary authorities to ensure that we are safe, not just on the estate, but also in our offices and when we're out and about doing our business. So, you know, no, no criticisms of him there. But that doesn't hold up as a reason for not doing this. There were other ways in which MPs could have, uh, who were not supportive of either the SNP amendment as drafted or the government amendment where they could have come to an accommodation which then could have led to a greater degree of unanimity. And quite frankly, I can't think of anything more likely to heighten tensions and pressures on MPs and raise concerns over safety than the kind of fiasco that we ended up in last night. And that fiasco came about because the Speaker ignored the clear advice he had been given by the clerks of the House of Commons that that was an outcome that was very likely to come about in the, the circumstances which which then did. So, the, so there, was no, there was no restriction on the debate. Anybody could have stood up and said anything that they wanted within reason about uh, what was on the table before us about the situation in the Middle East, which this is what it should have all been about. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, it does not hold any water for me whatsoever that uh, the only way that that could have happened or that uh, a consensus could have been arrived at was by forcibly inserting the Labour amendment into it. And, you know, by all means, go and look at the rules, but you don't change them on the hoof just because the Labour Party have put the thumb screws on you in private. That's just what not about all. What about this accusation from some MPs that your motion was just a political trap to begin with? Of course, you're under threat from Labour north of the border. Well, our motion wasn't about Labour in Scotland. It was about the plight of civilians in Gaza. And, you know, this is the... Much as I wish it were otherwise, uh, the UK Parliament is the Parliament that has control over foreign affairs. It's the voice that Scottish, the only Scottish voice can be heard in terms of foreign affairs. So we used one of our very few opposition day debates to highlight that. And as I said earlier, this was an issue that could have been raised by the Labour Party on many of their... They have far more opposition days than us, and they could have raised this on any of them, but they chose not to. So we did what we considered was right, which was to give MPs the opportunity to debate this. And, uh, yeah, as I say, it's a matter of great regret that instead of reflecting on the outcome, instead of reflecting on how the Labour Party have moved or been dragged to a position of supporting an immediate ceasefire, we're now talking about the worst of Westminster and the procedural wranglings and the future of the Speaker. That's really not where we should have been today when we should have been taking this and using the decision of the House of Commons to increase the pressure to bring about that immediate ceasefire that we all now say we want. OK, so if this is the worst of Westminster, voters are going to get to have their say at some stage later this year. How does Westminster redeem itself from this? I think the way that anybody or anything redeems itself in politics and many other walks of life is do the right thing in the right way for the right reasons and don't make stupid mistakes. There's a stupid mistake was made yesterday. I don't think the Labour Party went about this in the right way for the right reasons. I think there were ample ways for politics to do what it needs to do in a parliament that is the crucible of debate, after all, where many forces are brought to bear. And, uh, you know, if we want to review the procedures of how opposition day debates work, then fine. But yesterday was not the day to start 
innovate, it was not the day to start ripping up the rule book rather on that. So I, I think, you know, people need to take a long, hard look at themselves in terms of how, why we're not talking about today the things we, we were, we should have been talking about today as a result of yesterday's deliberations in Parliament. But uh, no, I think that there's a, there should be a lot of, and it seem, he seems to be escaping the scrutiny for this at the moment. I hope that doesn't last, but Sir Keir Starmer in particular and the way he's managed his party, I think he needs to reflect long and hard on how his inability to take his troops with him in the manner that he wanted has ended up uh, bringing Parliament into disrepute. Okay, the view from the SNP, Richard Thompson, MP for Gordon and the party's Westminster spokesman for international trade, Northern Ireland and Wales, with the sounds of Westminster in the background there. He's not put his vote in uh, yet for the motion of no confidence in the Speaker. Could he be the 58th after the meeting with Stephen Flynn? Great to have him on. Great. Thanks, Richard. It was yeah. I mean, look, very interesting to hear his point of view as we, of course, are reflecting on on what it, who who won and who lost in the events in Westminster yesterday, and then compare that to what uh, Emily Ashton was telling us just a little bit earlier in the program that look, there could be political advantage in this for Labour as well because ultimately they didn't have to have another series of rebellions over the wording of the ceasefire motion. Uh, certainly, I don't think it's the last that we've heard of it, but also quite to point to just the last comments we heard from Richard Thompson, their criticism of Labour, notably uh, no space for criticism of the government in this moment, of the Conservative Party as well. Perhaps that speaks also to the political dynamics in Scotland too. Yeah, even if someone wants to sound like they're above politics, it's still political, isn't it, at the end of the day? We're in an election year and SNP, as I say, is under threat from Labour in the polls. Well, that's it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Woolcock and our audio engineer was Marufal Hussain. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.